Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Hope you're well. Looking forward to half-term week, some watery sunshine out of this morning, some showers as well. Feels a bit like April. I guess it's a changing of the seasons, but thank you for being here. Appreciate you hitting on the button. Hope you're uh, staving off the seasonal coughs and colds as they come on. I know a few people actually with COVID-19, pretty mild symptoms, thankfully. A uh, large part, I guess, due to them having um, the vaccine. But yeah, I hope you're, hope you're well. Um, Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installation. Saw some cool social media stuff from Bang Olufsen about their new equipment range they've had in as well through Jason Briggs and his team, which you can find at BO underscore Cheltenham on Instagram and Twitter. Actually, I didn't realize, but they accept DMs as a way of uh, contact and consultation on social media. The way of the world, isn't it? Although you can go perhaps a traditional route and go to the website Bagnolison of Cheltenham then contact them through there maybe through the old uh, landline phone or whatever you would like to do but they've got a raft of equipment and through Serene AV I always stress they can help you with whatever equipment suits your vision your budget particularly if it's a sort of grander scale home entertainment system or something like that not just tied to Bagnolison of Cheltenham although if you go to their beautiful store in the very picturesque Montpellier courtyard in the sort of heart of Cheltenham French Quarter it's um a very nice place with lots of great banging off some equipment if you're looking for maybe some headphones or uh, something like a home entertainment like one of, one of the kind of um, speaker phones for music or whatever it may be speaker I don't know what they're called you know the uh, <laughs> the type <laughs> like your uh, your Apple your Alexa thing you know, that, that's the one so that's banging off of Cheltenham also like to thank Cytoplan again for their continued association with the podcast food based supplement company housed not far from here in the beautiful village of Hanley Swan in the west of England as you head west out to the village, you can see the Malvern Hills in the distance. And it's a company that we've had an association with as a family for over 20 years. My father's worked as a consultant. He's a general practitioner, Dr. Mark Draper, but also has studied nutrition, micronutrition in particular, and has helped assemble some of the supplements and consulted on them, done lectures and seminars for Cytoplan. But we do pay for the supplements, albeit at a discount rate, which we can offer to you. And he certainly believes in the holistic multivitamin, multivitamin, you may call it, uh, in terms of selenium, zinc, those other components, as well as the, the vitamins that we uh, all see as staple and important, particularly as we head into winter, vitamin D3. Um, so that is, uh, I'd say, the Immune Complete 2 sort of holistic supplement from Cytoplan. But you can go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk and look at any bespoke supplement that you're after or have been recommended to, to take, particularly vitamin D3 as we head into the winter as well. I think depending on whatever your skin complexion really in the UK, the sun's not really abundant and um, can't really get anything through the, the sunlight um, on our skin. So I mean, not that you're going to put your skin out much, are you as well in the winter months? So it's worth uh, worth looking at anyway. Well, thank you for, for being here. And if you want that discount, go to cytoplan.co.uk. It is uh, Draper10R, the code. So it's my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, 
all capital letters, the numerals one, zero, and the capital letter R. Now, really um, interesting podcast today. It was quite timely, actually, with Steve Keen, who suffered a lot of vitriol uh, during his time as Blackburn manager, but has got a storied career as a player in the low leagues in England and Scotland and Portugal as well. Came to coaching sort of prominence at Fulham as assistant uh, coach there, went to Blackburn as assistant, then became a manager of Blackburn Rovers. And actually, despite um, losing the job there, um, he said the job became untenable. And it seems timely because of what's happened to another Steve, Steve Bruce, in recent weeks, Newcastle United manager, revealing the level of vitriol he got in terms of driving him out of the club. And that seemed particularly cruel in the sense that Steve Bruce was a Geordie from, from Newcastle. His family supported that club, so had an emotional connection, which must have made it doubly hard. But Steve Keane here, very phlegmatic about his experiences, almost that it goes with the territory. But also speak to him on a cultural adventure sort of basis of him traveling the world and um, working in Brunei, Singapore, Australia, and just to how that's expanded his horizons and honed his coaching skills. And the, the sort of bizarre thing being that he's probably a better coach come manager now but it's whether your name is in that circulation, whether that profile thing that we all, I think, are subjected to in life now, the sort of fame, the notoriety thing, um, how much of that's a factor in when clubs select managers. Maybe they need to look a little bit more depth about the CV and the the rounded CV um, that someone like Steve may have in this sort of holistic understanding of the game. But anyway, here he is, uh, the one and only Steve Keane, great to see you. You're looking, you're looking well. You're, you're settling back into life in the UK. Yeah, I've been back a couple of months from uh, Australia, from, from Melbourne. I was out in Melbourne for a year. Uh, unfortunately, they are, I think, just about to come out of lockdown or have done over the last few days. But uh, that was that was a, a great year, different experience, different league, a uh, long way away. Uh, but it was re- really good. So I'm enjoying being back in the UK. Yeah, what was the experience like in Australia? Because the, everyone's handled the pandemic differently, but it was, yeah. it was pretty extreme, wasn't it? The lockdown over the last year. Yes, yeah, it, it was tough, Ed, because even on the way in, you, you have to do the, the hard quarantine. So I've done two weeks in Perth, mm. which, uh, you know, it's tough because you are, you're immediately, you know, in a, a hotel room, not allowed to step out for, for two weeks. Then immediately I, I had a couple of days on the training ground. We went then uh, out to the Champions League. We were out in Qatar. We were playing yeah. the, the Champions League, which was it was good for us because we managed to get to the last sixteen. Oh, great! And we were eventually beaten by Ulsan, who, who won the competition. But we were there for three weeks in a bubble. So again, in quarantine, going from the hotel to training, back to the hotel to games, back to the hotel. But we could move around, which was yeah. better. Uh, and then on the way back in again, we had to do two weeks in Sydney in quarantine. But again, we were allowed to move around the hotel and train. So the first the first block of time uh, was pretty tough because you, you're you're not really in the you know the real the real world. You're, you're in a bubble or you're in a hotel. Yeah. What what I mean? What was the A League like? The Australian A League. What did you make of that? And is is soccer becoming a big sport there? I'll tell, I'll tell you what I was really surprised about was the, the physicality, and I don't mean tackles and, and headers, but the amount of ground that the, the, the lads can cover. Yeah. You know, they're really, really fit. Uh, and I think, you know, really I would say probably that the first sport uh, is Aussie rules, yeah. where they cover a crazy amount of ground. And then it's probably rugby league where, you know, it's very physical and, you know, they cover big, big distances as far as kilometres. And then it's probably football, our football. So mm. 
of a of a physical nature. They're, they're really really very good athletes, and I'd witnessed that before when I had Brett Emerton. I had Brett uh, Blackburn, who was yeah, you know, an incredible athlete. You know, just getting up and down the pitch. And I, I thought that that was a bit unique, mm. but you know, there's there's lots of players in Australia like, like that. So uh, very physical. Um, you know, really, you know, transitional. The, the ball changes hands a lot. So, you know, really big, you know, goes box to box really quickly, a lot. Mm. You know, there's not a lot of uh, really teams that don't, the exception I would say of Melbourne City last year and Sydney FC, you know, they're, they're really possession-based. A lot of other teams are counter-attack-based. So it's, you know, interesting, really interesting. Yeah, that that is fascinating. What was the the Australians like? Do you think they're embracing the sport? Do they like the fact that it's a world sport? I suppose that they can compete in. I know rugby league has a World Cup, but yeah. Aussie, Aussie rules is kind of centered on the the island itself, isn't it, or the the, the continent itself? Yeah, I, I think I think they're they're really anxious to get. You know, they had a really really. If you think back to, you know, their golden age when they had you know a lot of players playing in the Premier League. Yeah, you know, a lot of Australians playing at top leagues even outside the Premier League. I think they are really anxious to get that back. Uh, and I think Ange going to Celtic and mm. kind of carrying the flag for uh, Australian coaching as well uh, at Celtic will be really big for them because everybody's followed his career. And, uh, you know, hopefully that will go well. And he's, he's, he's certainly making an attacking start, as everybody can see. So, um, <laughs> do, 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 you know, do you know Ange Postacoglu? Do you know him? No, but, no. I don't, but I know a lot of the staff that he brought to, to Melbourne Victory are still there. Yeah. And I think he really laid down the foundations of that club. Uh, Kevin Muscat was his assistant. And I think when Kevin became, when Ange moved and Kevin became the manager, I think he took a lot Obviously, put his own stamp on it, but I think he took a lot of the kind of framework and the, the groundwork that, that Ange had done at the club and carried it on in a really successful spell. So everybody speaks Highland at that club, but not only there, but, you know, all the journalists and even in the NPL, which is the league below, you know, a lot of them follow his career and I would say try to model themselves on him. Yeah, that's it's fascinating, isn't it? We wish him definitely the best of luck. It's interesting to get that that cultural input from a, a different coaching world. What have you? Because you've had such an extraordinary time since leaving Blackburn. You travelled the world: Singapore, Greece, um, and Australia. Brunei. Did you, did Brunei you feel that? In what? Sorry. In Brunei. Brunei, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, was it? And what did it? How did it enrich your, I guess, life experience? But your coaching experience yourself as a man and as a coach is it? Is it kind of giving you a I guess a whole different perspective. I think the thing when when I went to Brunei, you know, people say, "What you know? Why are you going there?" I didn't see it as a negative that they didn't have a reserve team, they didn't have an academy. It gave me the chance to be able to build that. The 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 owner, who's the you know member of the royal family, wanted mm. me to help the local coaches, which I thought that was you know that's superb. We would never really won. We've won very little. Uh, we never won the league. We managed to win the league, managed to win the FA Cup. So, and, and really just, you know, get the, the, the reserve team under 23s academy, you know, coach some of the senior players into those positions as they were getting to the end of their career. You know, I went for a year and stayed for four years. So we, we just got, you know, we, we, we won a lot and we, we built a lot, which 
was really satisfying that way. Mm, yeah, definitely. What was it like is it on the personal front being away from the family? Because you say you're back home in Surrey where you've been roughly since the Fulham days, which is sort of 15, yeah. 15 years ago. So how, how challenging has that been to, to keep in touch with, with friends and family? Or has it been just a, an adventure where you've been carried away by it? I think it, I think it was easier in Brunei in Singapore because it makes it easier when the, the, the owners own the, the national airline. So <laughs> my, my wife and my kids were able to fly out every half term. And all summer, you know, Easter holidays, Christmas. So, you know, that they they done the miles when I was based in Southeast Asia. Um, but you know, going between Brunei and Singapore, you know, two, yeah. two amazing places, uh, and great life experience for the kids. Um, and then in Australia, unfortunately, because of strict rules, they weren't able to get in. Mm. And uh, you know, I would have possibly tried to stay out a bit longer in Australia, but I've been away for a year. We're, we're not been able to see them, so you know, I had it's to tough. go back. Before, yeah, before lockdown, when we went into a strict lockdown again, and you wouldn't be able to get out. So I came back a couple of months ago. Yeah, and, and how, how you enjoy it back here? Are you looking for jobs in this country now, or are you still open to the international um, well, experience? I'm working. I'm working with the Scottish Football Association. I've been yeah. working with them for a number of years doing the coach education, which which is great. So. We're putting through ex-players, you know, young coaches through the the B license. I'll do a B license for them next week. Uh, I've put five groups through their A license. Mm. Um, so you know that's really satisfying seeing you know younger coaches and being a part of the the coaching uh, coach education staff. You know, I think back to when, when I was doing you know my coaching licenses when it was Craig Brown as a technical director and with Walter Smith and. Wow. Archie Knox. Yeah, and, big names. You know, uh, incredible senior coaches, you know, Jockey Scott, Dick Campbell, you know, amazing coaches that were putting all us as younger coaches through our licenses. And, and now, uh, you know, I'm doing the same for some of the senior players and young coaches that are coming through. What do you say to them about the pressures involved, some of the treatment you get from, from supporters, maybe the media difficulties, owners? I mean, that's been in the spotlight. I think Gary Neville referenced you actually this week on, on Sky Sports because of what happened to Steve Bruce with the way that he felt the owners had, had sort of hung him out to dry at Newcastle. He felt that you weren't supported, I think, at, at Blackburn. What do you, how do you speak to uh, players making that transition about those pressures? Because it's very different than being a player, isn't it? Very different, and I think that's probably more not for the, the B license and the A license, but certainly when you get into the pro license. Yeah. You know, the pro license is less about the coaching, and it's maybe more about you know the, the management of budgets, the management if, you, if you're managing up with owners, because that that is is challenging to, to say the least. Mm. Um, because you know you're not you're not a player, you're not a young coach. You know, you're, you're having to explain, you know, to, to directors that might not be on the same page as the owners. You know, some mm. you know, might want to be certain elements of people inside the club might want to be continually want to invest. Some others might think, well, we need to sell players to balance books. That's, that's a really, really, you know, tricky part and making sure that everybody is stable. And I've seen it kind of at different, you know, clubs, were somewhat better than others, but I certainly think that if, if there's a plan that's shared right across the board with, first of all, the owners, then then the directors, I think it's much easier then for the players to understand where they fit in. Yeah. You know, the, the uncertainty is, 
you know, for the players not knowing what, what's going to happen, you know, if it's management, if it's new players coming in, if it's their own personal contract coming to an end, mm. you know, they, these are things that, you know, the courses that you, you do don't really cover them. No. You know, well, Steve Bruce has come out with some very candid comments about how it's affected his family, some of the comments he's received. I think particularly as a Geordie himself from, from Newcastle fans, some sort of rather personal things. How did you cope with that, that side of it? Because it's a, there's an emotional intensity that fuels football, isn't it? Which is good when things are going well, but it, it can get ugly when, when things aren't. I think, in all honesty, it's probably easier for the, for the adults mm. to, to switch off from social media or, or, or block out you know, what's in the newspapers if it's negative. I think it's more difficult for the kids because, you know, it, it's they live on social media, they live on different platforms. And I think that's that's the challenging thing when it affects your kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, it affects them if they're at school, affects them if they're at college or university where, you know, if, if something's written or something's said, or even if it's, you know, not with a sharp end, maybe if it's in jest, it can affect them. Uh, and I think, like I say, it's, it's easier for adults. I just used to switch off and mm. the easiest thing was getting back on the training ground and working with the players. And you always, you know, you always get energy from them when you can see that they're, they're with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny though, isn't it? Because I think people forget sometimes that, that managers are humans. It's weird. I think people will focus on what we think Bruce might get as a severance payment from Newcastle, but not how challenging that is for him for his, his club, his hometown team that he, he supported as a kid, how, how difficult that experience is. is that, do you think that's just a sort of tribalism of football that sometimes we get so swept away with it? We don't, we don't think of, of managers. And we, we, you know, people call for managers' jobs in a way that you can't imagine someone calling for anyone else's job in another walk of life. I think that just goes with the territory. You know, mm. the, the, the fans at any club are passionate about the club. They want to see them winning. They want to feel that they're going in a direction that they feel they're going, or they, they should be going. And if it's not, then they'll, 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 they'll shout and scream. And if, if it is, then they'll, they'll, they'll be jumping up and down. I think that's, I don't think that that'll ever change. You know, and you, you can be one end of it, the other end of it, or a bit in the middle. Um, you know, I've been at clubs where it's, you know, it's been pushing forward. And, you know, I, I think back to when, I was at Fulham running the academy um, with Mr. Al Fayed, and he was he was putting money in to try and get us to the Premier League. Yeah, and then we eventually did. Um, so I think it, it, it's each club goes through different times, and you know it's 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 difficult where financially, if different businesses have been hit in a different way, and the owners are on a downside because of their business. You know, yeah, it's it's just depends. We we. You know, when we were at Fulham, we were very much, you know, chasing, trying to get to the promised land, if you like. And nice to see them again up in second place at the moment. I think they're, they're really going for it again, yeah. a new owner. So it just shows you when, when owners change, some owners can come in and, and, and do similar things and, and back clubs. So uh, it just depends who takes over. Do you think clubs, it's interesting, I had... Um a guy called A.D. Britton, who used to coach Bath City, got them up to the, the conference about a decade ago. And he was saying that once you've been around football for a while, you can almost look at a club and see the demographics, the supporter base. Do you think a club like Fulham will always have that potential to, to be a Premier League club? And maybe other clubs sometimes aren't realistic with, with the possibilities that, that, that the club can sustain. I think, I think for Fulham, it's a, it's a really attractive place to, 
for foreign players to go. You yeah. know, you're, you're in London, the training ground's amazing. Uh, it's had history of being in the Premier League. You know, it's it, 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 it's it's a really friendly club. The fans are very understanding. They, they like a you know a certain way of playing. You know, if you try and play good football, and they can see that everybody's you know really at it. They're, they're, they're great fans. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's a good place to go and play. Uh, we took a lot of American players, which is, it seems funny now because there's an American owner now. Yeah. You know, way back when we had Marcus Hanneman, Eddie Lewis, Brian McBride, Clint Dempsey. Yes, yeah. Um, Carlos Bocanegra. We took many players from the MLS, so I don't know if that will be something they'll consider again because we had, we had great success with, with those players. I think it's a good market in the US now, do you think? Because the, the MLS has expanded a lot since those days as well, a lot more clubs. Yeah, I think, you know, you can see, we, you know, that Phil's, Phil's in it and, you know, the the players that they're producing, I think they're getting better. You know, there's a, there's a young young striker at Dallas who's, I think, going to be a big player. Mm. Um, so there's, there, is, there is good players in the MLS. Um, and it helped for us because we had Lee Roos, who's now at, at QPR as CEO. We had Lee as uh, an our team. And he had a connection that, that helped us uh, with the head office with the MLS, and we were managed to make good inroads and, and brought a lot of those players yeah. over to the Premier League. It was it was good times. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. We started on Australia, and if America embraces it, because it's often the English speaking countries that don't always embrace football globally, which is it. They do their own thing, but it's yeah. great that they've got that coming along. Because I spent some time in the States, actually covered Columbus Crew bizarrely in the in the MLS, which was that was sort of nearly twenty years ago, but that's definitely kicked on. Yeah, since we, then as we well. Went to we yeah. went as a part of the Premier League to represent the Premier League and played against Columbus 2005. Ah, okay, yeah. Uh, Had a so soccer-specific, I think it was the first soccer-specific stadium in the in the country, but I think it's probably a bit yeah, it was, it was, old hat. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, we played the MLS All-Stars in Columbus. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was good. Uh, and I, I just think that the States, you know, I think the way it's going and the... You, so connected with Premier League, and, and you know, and everybody wants to get to the Premier League, so you, you never know, you might have another influx. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you look look back at your career, Steve, obviously, you worked at the Fulham Academy, you were, you were head of that academy, then you become number two, and eventually, you become a number one. What are the big steps there? Is it is it academy to number two as an assistant, or is it assistant to number one? Because I know a lot of uh, coaches have said it's a difficult step up when you become a manager or a head coach because suddenly your relationship with the players fundamentally changes. I, I think it can it can work both ways. Um, you know, I, I was always in development initially when I was at Reading. I was working in the academy myself and Brendan Rogers, yeah. Kevin Dillon. We were in the academy set up. John Stevenson, who's now head of operations at Blackpool. Um, so we came from a development background, and then when I went to Fulham, we were, you know, we were developing players. I was running from the really under the first team, so the reserves down. Um, and I think there it's it's different because it's about trying to get players in the first team. Mm. It's more about the individual. Can you improve them to to get into the, the first team? Then when you become an assistant coach or a head coach. You know, you still want to improve the players, but you need to win games. So it becomes less about the individual and more about the units and the team to try and win games. So 
I think that's a transition as a coach from an improver specifically yeah. to, to you know an outcome-driven coach. And I think the best coaches in the world, I think you're now seeing do both. Yeah. Where you see teams getting really, really good results, but then you look at individuals and you go, wow, they've improved. You know, I think back, I had Jordan Henderson at Coventry. Yeah. Um, as a young player, you know, and I'm looking at Jordan now and I'm thinking, wow, what a player. <laughs> you know, what a player. Is that, um, is that the coaching or is that him? What, what's the ingredients there? Does it have to think, be the player? I think both. Yeah. I think both. He was very driven as a young boy when we had him. Um, but he's, he's went into a massive club and I think he's just got better year on year. He was always a, a leader, even at a young age, always wanted to stay out and learn and would always ask questions. Um, so, but you see him now as a captain of, of a club of that size and, and what he's won and uh, never happy when he's not playing, <laughs> both with, with club and country. Yeah. And, uh, what, what did you make of Sir, Ale- Sir Alex Ferguson famously said about Jordan Henderson, didn't he? That, that he, he, he didn't run correctly or something, but he's obviously gone on to lift the Champions League with Liverpool and, and, and play into his 30s. So that was probably maybe a misdiagnosis from, from Ferguson. Well, I, I think Jordan's went on to show uh, that he, he's a top player. I mean, um, Sir Alex has got the best record ever of, of producing players and, and making them will make the transition from being young players into top players. So, you know, I, I, I don't think you could ever say that he, uh, he's got too many wrong. He's, he's <laughs> outstanding, probably the best manager ever. Yeah. Uh, as far as Jordan's concerned, I, I think he changed his position. He, he was When he was with us, he was a, a right winger. Really? Yeah. He was a right winger and he's adapted his game to play inside and he can play higher up, he can sit. But his energy levels, were, were, even as a young boy, was frightening. Yeah. Um, so you know he was, he's been on to do well, and it's just nice to see when you've been a part of somebody's, you know, development. Grant Hanley, I had as a young player, Phil Jones, uh, with Casper Schmeichel at Coventry, yeah. that went on to captain's country. So we, you've Casper and Grant, captain Scotland, and uh, I think Phil Phil Jones has been unlucky with injury. Aaron Gunnarsson and Aaron, who have been only yeah. captain of Iceland. So, you, you know, you, you think back to all the players that you've had that have all went on to have very, very good careers. And if, if you've helped them along the way, it's very satisfying. Is there a connecting thread between those players who, who excel? Is it is it something that they're receptive to feedback or they're, they're hardworking or they're, they're intelligent? How do, how do you look at it? Uh, I, I would say that the, the real trait that, that all those lads that I mentioned was that you seldom have to tell them the same thing twice. Mm. You know, they're, they're coachable, they'll take on information, and then you find yourself that you don't have to repeat that information. It's okay, what's the next bit? What's the next layer that's up from that? And then you don't need to repeat that. That's that's in. And they just keep on progressing. Whereas I think with some other players, and I don't know if that's game intelligence or lack of... Uh, focus or just where they are in their, their, their own maturation and their, their, their life if yeah. they struggle to retain the information but I, I feel as though it's the ones that take the information on that rapidly progress yeah that's that's interesting it's, it's amazing to watch you say players through the generations and here I didn't even know Jordan Henderson had been a right wing I think maybe he did a little bit of Sunderland but it's uh... yeah but we had we, we, we had him from Sunderland we, yeah. we took him on the as a right winger and he played right, uh, you know, as a right winger for us in the championship. 
and then he went back to Sunderland and then I think he, he slightly adapted his position before he moved to, to Liverpool. Yeah, it was, fa- it was a fascinating development. It's obviously had players like um, Paul Scholes was a second striker, wasn't he? Became a sort of a midfield maestro in, in, in later years. And that, that evolution of players is, is really interesting to watch. Roy Keane was a... I remember as a kid watching him as an attacking central midfield player, and then he became the yeah. the ultimate defensive midfield player. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting how players how players develop. Talking of, of Manchester United, for my sins, I'm a Manchester United fan. How do you solve a, a problem like that? And I wondered if you had any empathy from your days at Blackburn with the weight of history. Obviously, Blackburn, I suppose, within 15 years, it had been a Premier League title-winning team, but not necessarily a, a giant like Manchester United. But do you feel... Sympathy for the managers that are coming after Sir Alex Ferguson, that perhaps the expectancy doesn't really match where the club is? I think for anybody and moving forward for in, in the future, whoever it's going to be, it's going to be hard to, to step into the shoes of Sir Alex mm. um, and what he won. And, and now it's the other clubs, you know, if you, if you look at what they are, the financial power that they've got now, you know, it's, it, it's huge. There's so many big players now. Yeah. investments so much you know it, it, it's difficult I think to keep them themselves up there but I think the fan base and the history will, will drive them on it they have to it's not a case of will they do it I think they just have to you know worldwide it'll be a demand that'll, that'll just seep, seep through as it always has and somehow it'll, it'll, it'll bring them back success yeah what are the do you, when you look at coaching, do you think it goes through trends? It seems like everyone's, or a lot of big clubs playing 4-3-3 now. It used to be 4-4-2 and then 4-5-1. Is, is, it, is it strange that people adopt the same formations, that there's a, there's a fashion that people don't try and oppose each other when, they, when they're coaching and, and think of different things? How do you see that through the evolution of the game during your time? I, I think it depends, I think, when if you go into a club. If you're, I think you can eventually want to play a certain way. Yeah, I think for me it's 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 who do you have in in the building? You know, if you're very quick wingers and you don't have a striker, you're forced to play you know a certain way. If you do have two strikers that are exceptional and can play well together, I think it's who you have. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly think now more than ever, you know, the 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 domination in the mid, the middle third, you know, really. Is going to be are you going to attack or are you going to defend? Mm. You know, and, and, and it's certainly much, much more nowadays. Uh, the physical element and ability pitches can can you get the ball back quickly and can you then retain the ball? I mean, you see the way City press, you see the way Liverpool press, you know, they, they don't even let you get a touch. You know, it's not one person closing you down, it's you know, it's double banking, it's treble banking. So yeah. there's three people getting around the ball and then when they get it, you don't see it again for 10 minutes because technically they're immaculate. Yeah. So I think I think that's, a, you know, you can see that in Liverpool, you can see that in Man City. It's about a dynamic to get the ball back, but then you have technicians in the middle of the pitch. Mm. It's very, very difficult to see the ball again. Yeah, when, so, I was, when I was younger, you used to talk about luxury players, didn't you? You'd have a player that was almost maybe indulged, like a Cantona or something like that. They weren't expected to... To defend, but it feels like everyone is now. But how do United, when you look at a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's so lethal, but at the age of 36, his sprint stats suggest he's not going to to do that work. Is it feasible to accommodate a player, maybe a player who's a little bit older now in, in a setup like that in terms of your pressing and your, your energy? Definitely. I think if you get some of, of that quality that, that 
you know, he, he's not really in the team at this stage in his career. I don't think to, to run around as much. He's there to, to, to finish the actions. And then I think it's just about, you know, trying to find a balance that can get him the ball often enough. Yeah. Because I, I think he's, his percentage of finishing chances are exceptional. They, they just need to get the ball to him. Mm. So I, I think when you've got somebody of, of that ilk and somebody of that quality, it's just the balance and making sure that you can get it to him often enough. And if other people are in the team that do his running, then I think I think that's okay. Yeah. You know, you, you know, if you've got a Scott McTominay who, who who's breaking things up and, and getting it to him, uh, then I, I don't think there's anything up with that. Many teams of, of I think people inside the game need to know, I don't just mean at Manchester United, I mean at any club, what their function is in the team. Mm. And if, if, if your function is to win the ball and serve the guys that can finish it, then that's, I think that's fine. And that, that's the clarity of communication from the coaches to each player to know who they are, what they are in, the, in that team. Yeah, I, I think sometimes the difficulty can be if, if the player doesn't agree with that. Mm. You know, <laughs> if, if a player thinks he's maybe more creative and not a ball winner or, he, you know, he wants to be going forward and not just sitting. I think that's just your, your relationship with the player saying this is your function in the team. Here's the way it has, has to be. Um, then, then I think it's just getting everybody on the same page. I yeah. Then, you're, you're, then everybody understands what their role and responsibility and that's all it is. It's like anything else. It's what's your role responsibility inside your unit and then on the broader inside the team um, that, that makes everybody be predictable for each other in the team but, but not predict, predictable for the opposition. That's, well, I think that's, yeah, and we're speaking the morning after Ronaldo headed the uh, the winning goal against Atalanta yeah. in the Champions League. So there's, there's evidence there on his long CV that maybe players will accommodate him not running as much if he's going to do that for the, the team and get on the end of things. Steve, how much have you evolved as a coach? Because it's strange, isn't it? I suppose a decade on from or more from managing in the Premier League. I guess you must be a better coach now in a way, do you feel? I think you're, you're always, you know, year on year, you're always getting better. I think you, you see different things. Experience is, is an incredible thing. Um, the game's evolving, the game's developing. And if you can watch games, watching mm. games is great. But if you can be in different leagues and experience, because there's nothing really like being in a, a club or being in a league that's totally different. So, you know, I would say I'm, I'm way better now as a coach than I was 20 years ago when I, when I first went to Fulham. Yeah, I went there in 2000, so it's a long, long time ago, you know. Um, so I think every experience makes you better, not only in the coaching side, but I think on the managerial side, you know. Yeah. Each experience, good, bad and different, you know, makes you reflect. And I think you should always reflect as a coach. And I don't mean season on season, it's day on day. What, what, how was the session? What, you know, what would you do differently? Mm. And that's what we teach the young coaches. If you could do it, if you could re repeat the sessions, what would you do? How would you make it even better? Would the, it's not about you. Would the players get out of it? Would the day learn? How is that moving you forward to the game at the weekend or, or midweek? And I think all these things, as as you get older, as a as, as a, a, a more senior, I wouldn't say senior, a more yeah. senior coach, <laughs> yeah. you, uh, I think you become better. Do, do you do you feel frustrated in that sense that, that in sort of Premier League management, there's almost a 
a profile that, that you have to have at the time to get it. And almost you got the job too early. Do you feel that the Premier League clubs should look more at coaches like yourself who've had that depth of experience rather than the, the familiar names in the headlines? It almost feels like there's a, a sort of window in time when, you're, when your sort of fame is up there that people get opportunities. But actually, it's not, there's not depth of research into people's coaching portfolio and their, their coaching kind of attitudes. I think it's, it depends what each club's looking for. And I think often you find yeah. if they've had a certain type of manager, you know, if it's been a younger manager and for whatever reason it's not worked, then um, they might go more experienced. If it's been a, a manager of a nationality, certain yeah. nationality that's not worked, they'll go in a different direction. I, I think it's almost impossible to, to call. Because yeah. it's, you don't really know who's the advisors to the, the owners and the team. You don't know how much influence the fans have. And now, I, I know now, and these days, a lot of fans have a percentage of ownership to the club. Yeah. So, that, you know, I think that's taken into consideration. I think each each club's different. Um, and I, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can have the, the bookmaker's favourites and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it'll be somebody else. Mm. You don't really know uh, what direction a club's going um, until you're actually inside it and when it's in, you're inside it it's fascinating yeah and how, how do you yeah and that pressure of, of results do you think managers now are philosophical about potentially losing their job is that do you have to go with that sort of I guess not not wanting that to happen of course but just accepting that that's the nature of the business unlike other businesses in, in life yeah I think you know you, you, you can't you can't be in a position where you're or you're going to be under pressure if you're in a position where mm. you know the club's going to lose massive finances, and then you're in a really good position if you're in a you know in a, a league where you're going to be promoted into a massive abundance of money. So it, it just goes two ways. I think that just goes with the job. You know, it's you need to get results. Uh, but but now I think what you're seeing is you, you need to get results. You need to improve players. That you need to keep everybody on side. You look yeah. at the size of the size of the squads. You know, if you've got two international players in every position, you know, and, and it's to, it's it's probably one of the, the only not not just football but in sport when everybody's got to be mates, but mm. only half of them can be selected. Yeah, but you yeah. you know but, you know you you wouldn't have that in banking where no. you know you'd have tw- twenty three you know guys in a hedge fund but only eleven in on trading. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen. Is, that, but, is it is it about managing people and relationships now? Has that changed in the game? Do you feel at the top yeah, level and, and how you speak to people? And yeah, I think it's that that's massive. You know, in the communication, it's it's you know, I, I think back where it was years and years ago. You, you, you know, I can never remember the amount of time managers spent talking, mm. and then now you see it. It's a huge, huge part. Of, yeah. of you know speaking and everybody's different and every you know knowing what's going on in their family life you know now you've got international players that are traveling through difficult times so you know keeping everybody fresh keeping everybody that when they're selected look as though they're the first choice and when they're not selected not feeling as though they're dropped yeah I mean you, you see that now with the, the, the top the top clubs uh, it just looks as though other teams put out there is happy and the ones that are on the bench when they come on make impact mm. I mean that's much much more is difficult it, 
Is it just explaining why to every player? Is it why they're not being picked, why they are being picked, what their role is? Is that rather than in the old days, it used to be maybe more of a, a sort of autocratic yelling style. Yeah. You do this, you do that and, and get on with it kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I think certainly I feel that the top clubs for so many games, I think if a player knows that during the course of the season, he is a, he is a first team player and probably if you added up all the minutes, they're all going to be the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. it, there is, you know, there's no favourites. Everybody's going to play the minutes. It just depends on when those minutes are. I think everybody's okay. I think it's more difficult at the, at the clubs that are maybe not playing in Europe, uh, that are maybe not in the cup, the cup competitions and the, the, the latter stages. It's more difficult, but you know that that's that's just the the, the way it goes as far as the finances of certain clubs. You know, yeah. I, I can think back when. When I was at Blackburn, we 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 sold a lot of the senior players. Mm. So the the you know the the younger players, even if some of them were not not ready, you know, think of you know Jason Lowe when already mm. captain Blackburn, we, we got in very early. Uh, Martin Olsen, Marcus, especially Marcus Olsen, I signed Marcus. Yeah, and Martin's twin brother. You know, get in very very early. A lot of the players because senior players had moved on. So it it depends on. Each yeah. club. And if you have time, if you have time, if you're allowed time to bring youth players in, that, that that's the a precious commodity now, isn't it? Time. Yeah, it is, it is. And you know, sometimes it's necessity if, if, if certain players move on that you, they get their chance earlier, and then if they grab it, they stay in. Um, but but I certainly think the balance now of it's not it's not a team. The top clubs, you know, they, they have to they have to shuffle the back and. Keeping everybody happy and keeping that atmosphere um, is vital to, to get in. I don't know. You, you look at um, you look at some clubs and you just feel they, they're 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 a happy bunch. Yeah, you know who, who, who comes to, who comes to mind? Do you think when you see that? Liverpool? Maybe I don't know. I, I think I think Liverpool uh, look really really happy. Whoever's playing, hmm. uh, City look really hungry for me. Yeah. Uh, they, they look as though they're like desperate to, to claw back, you know, if, if they've lost any ground, desperate to claw that back. Um, and there seems like a desperation to, to, to hold on to intensity in games and be quite relentless. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. Um, you, we've very generous with your time, Steve, so I won't keep you too long. Do you see? Do you see wingers and two strikers ever coming back? I know Burnley try and do something similar to that. Do you think? Do you think there will be fashions that come and go in football that we'll see that kind of flying winger again rather than the wide forward and and the, the sort of two up front? I, I, I think I think sometimes when opposition get get used to a certain style of play, like like you say, if it's wide strikers now and. You know, false nines coming to the ball and wide strikers dipping in. Yeah, I think as as defenders get used to that, you know, football's got an amazing way and just evolving again and maybe going full circle. Yeah, and having you know uh, twin strikers with you know not even inverted wingers, out and out wingers going you know one on one. It just keeps on. The, the game just keeps on evolving. So. You always have to find a solution how to get in behind defenders and how to penetrate. So the, I'm, I'm convinced that there'll be a place for, um, you know, twin strikers. Uh, 
with, with wingers. I'm, I'm convinced that you'll have, again, you know, penetrating runs from midfield. You'll yeah. have, you always have attacking fullbacks. You know, so I, I think it's just a, not so much, you know, reinventing the wheel. It's just a little tweak where we're probably are a modern slant. Yeah, like you say, it'll be a new prospect potentially for young centre-halves to deal with that as well. Steve, what would, what would appeal to you now to get back into the game? Because the problem with football management is you're not necessarily walking into a, a rosy picture, are you? Because you only get the phone call when there's a, a crisis, usually, unless, yeah. unless someone's retiring. Yeah, the, the thing for me, Ed, is I've, I've been fortunate. I've done kind of all the jobs inside the club, from academy to first-team coach, assistant coach to head coach. So... Um, I'm, I'm open. I don't know where in the world it would be, um, but uh, I just like working with players. I like being out on the training ground. I like improving players, and uh, hopefully that will be somewhere soon. Are you happy to travel as long as is it sunshine yeah. important or is it just wherever no, wherever it goes? No, yeah. no, I've I've travelled everywhere. I've I've been all over all over the world. I was in Spain coaching I played in Portugal which you know those those two parts of the world are amazing but I've also wow. been um in Southeast Asia in Singapore and Brunei I've been in Australia so there's not really anywhere that's further than I've already been so uh, football makes the, the world small that's the brilliant thing language of football my wife always says that she's always envious when we get into a cab where anywhere in the world you can say a few names and a few football phrases and the, the cab driver yeah. usually knows what you're talking about and you get <laughs> even if you don't speak the same language there's a connection there that's it that's yeah. it well steve appreciate your time thank you very much best of luck with um coaching at the moment for the scottish fa and and then going forward the, the next the next role in the this wonderful fairy tale story of yours around around the world thank you steve thanks very much thanks ed yeah, I appreciate Steve Keane actually. No um, complaints really from him. Actually, interesting about his time as a manager. It seems to go with the territory, whether that's changing. And we sort of talk a lot in society don't we, about mental health and kindness. And I wonder whether that's been illuminated a little bit that, yes, there's this incredible passion and tribalism on a positive note that drives football. That it's those people that are willing to flood through the gates every week and put huge emotional investment into their clubs that that provide a living for people like me as a broadcaster for people like steve as coaches and managers otherwise it was all amateur wasn't it it would be there's no crowd there's it's just all done recreationally um but sometimes i think that passion that tribalism can spill into a little bit of meanness and, and vitriol and things that you wouldn't ever tolerate in other walks of life so and i think it's interesting people say the severance payment someone like steve bruce i think eight million pounds has been banded around in the media which is fantastic but then you think managers are going through similar pressure cookers in lower divisions not getting that even non-league football a lot of pressure from from fan bases quite fervent fan bases you can watch the documentaries on Salford City and that's illustrated there in terms of the stress on these people and wouldn't have been getting anywhere near that kind of severance and would certainly have to work again and often work day jobs as well as being managers so that sort of treatment I think is sometimes we have to kind of try and treat people in sport as we would in regular regular life as much as possible but yeah interesting conversation really appreciate Steve Keane's um, time look forward to seeing where his next stop as a permanent manager is while he's still working in the Scottish FA on the coaching side of it bringing through young managers into that transition into coaching from playing um, but yeah let me know what you think of that please rate the podcast on iTunes or you can email hello at drapermedia.co.uk let me know what you think of the podcast generally and um, be fascinating to get your your input and you can uh, follow me at draper81 on Twitter uh, Teddy Draper underscore media on Instagram and 
yeah, it'd be nice to nice to get some feedback. But just tell a friend as well if you enjoy the podcast. Always fantastic to do that. Write a review, whatever platform you're listening on. I think 12 or 13. That'd be fantastic. Thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Remember, Cytoplan, if you're looking to optimize your immunity, go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. And the discount code associated with the podcast is Draper10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, the numerals 1-0, and the capital letter R. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Enjoy half-term if you've got kids as well. Fun times ahead. Bye for now.